So I was 19 years old, and I got my first ever ministry job at a church, working with high school students. I was so excited. I'm jumping into this whole vocational ministry thing. And it was one of these nights at one of our programs, and I run into this young guy. He was his first time here at this program, all right? So I'm just trying to make him feel welcome, do all the connecting and all that kind of stuff. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye a particular girl from this ministry kind of coming from a distance. Now, can I preface this again? I was 19 years old, okay? I was barely out of high school myself. Can I preface that one more time, 19? So I see this girl coming, and let me just say this. This girl was so sweet, the sweetest girl you could imagine, so nice, but just a little high maintenance, okay? I don't know else to say. You know, like, you get caught in the conversation. I knew I was going to be trapped for, like, two hours, so I'm like, I just, I want to be able to connect with other kids, too, and I want to be able to do that, okay? 19, I'm just, please remember this, okay? So I'm talking to this guy, and I say, hey, man, there's a girl approaching, she kind of likes to talk a little bit, and I kind of need you to help save me, okay? Can you protect me, and can you just stick with me for a moment? And he, he kind of looks over my shoulder, and he goes, is, is it that girl right over there? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's actually the girl. Can, can you just do me a solid and kind of, he's like, he's like, that girl right over there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's one. He's like, that's my girlfriend. Have you ever just shoved your foot in your mouth before? <laughs> you ever say something that you just totally regret? Maybe even send that text where you're like, that should not have gone out. And now I know they've read it. I can't even delete it now. I can't unsend it. Maybe even in the work chat, you're like, that was just a bad idea. We say some crazy stuff. There's some crazy things come out of these mouths. And we're actually walking through. The book of James right now, if you're just joining us, this is a letter in the Bible written by Jesus' half-brother who would go on to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that Jesus was actually God, and he worshipped his own half-brother as God. And he writes this punchy letter talking about putting faith into action, how we can give our faith real life. And today, James is actually going to talk about one area in our lives where every single one of us gets in trouble where we all have some regrets and we would probably want a little bit of a do-over too. I'm going to be in James chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. Look what James says. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. It will keep their whole body in check. Now you see James talking about this idea of stumbling. I want to tell you guys about one of my greatest fears in life, and I have to experience it every week. It's actually tripping up the stairs when I come up to do the sermon. Every week I'm like, do not make this the week, Brian, when you fall up the stairs, you know? Because like, you know when you just trip up stairs, you just look kind of ridiculous, you know? When you trip over yourself, you just look kind of dumb. And James is like, every single person trips all over themselves in so many different ways. We do stuff that is just so dumb that we always regret and we just wish never happened. He's like the one area where every single person stumbles, every person trips over themselves, is with their words. James is saying we all stumble with our words. You might mess up in a lot of different areas, but James says the most difficult part of your body to control is actually your mouth. And he says, if anyone can figure out that dynamic in their lives, he's like, they can handle anything else. They can control the whole rest of their life because it is that complicated. And our words are so hard to control sometimes that James says, you know what? Not many of you should do things that involve using your words very often. You probably shouldn't be teaching. 
because you got issues with what comes out of this thing. Now, right now, I'm wondering, how many people, your worst nightmare would be doing what I'm doing right now? You're like, you could not imagine a worse job in the world than to have to come up and talk in front of people. It's just the absolute worst thing. I'm always blown away because this research comes out constantly that people's number one fear is public speaking. Always. It's always at the top lists. Do you notice that it's even higher than death? People would rather die than do apparently what I'm doing right now. You would rather show up at a funeral and be the person in the casket than the person give the eulogy. That's how much apparently people hate doing this kind of stuff. And I think for a lot of people, just any type of public speaking or teaching, it kind of feels like cruel and unusual punishment when, you, when you're forced to do it. When Nicole and I got married, I still remember when her maid of honor came up and gave her speech for Nicole. And of course, she's getting all emotional and crying. She's like, Nicole, you are God's gift to the world. I remember when I first met you. You're an incredible woman. It's just a gift to my life to have you. And then my guy came up, my best man. And I remember he shows up and he's like, dude, remember that one time when we ate all that Mexican food and then jumped on that trampoline? Wasn't that awesome? Some people are just not gifted to teach. Not everybody's made to talk. And, and just hear this. God doesn't give all of us leadership or teaching gifts, and that is perfectly fine. That is not like the litmus test if that makes you a good person. That's not it. James is saying, though, if you are someone who desires any type of influence, especially when it comes in a spiritual context, you need to know that it comes with some very serious liabilities. James says you're going to be judged in a different way. Now, we all understand this on some level. We expect more from people that are in higher positions of authority, right? That's basic common sense. This is why we get so frustrated with politicians, right? They say one thing, but then they do a whole other thing. And we're like, that's not how that's supposed to work. We get to judge you more strictly just based on your position. And so God even holds people to a higher standard. Maybe you've heard this line from Jesus before, to whom much is given, much is required. And so this is even just a good little heart check for some of us in here. I know many of us in this church, you, you speak in the kids' lives in our church and the kids' ministries. You're leading a student group. Some of you ladies, you facilitate a table at the women's ministry. Our guys do it. Some of you guys are hosting groups in your houses. You're up front in some way. It's just worth noting there is a higher standard for you. There is a different expectation. Your words need to match up with your life. And that is much easier said than done. So maybe for some of this room, before you go launch that YouTube channel, before you go get millions of social media followers, just remember you're going to be accountable for whatever kind of influence or leadership God gives you. So James just gave us a little heart check. He's like, make sure that you don't do this unless you are willing to embrace the burden of it because it comes with a stricter judgment. But now... James is going to go down this direction of the dynamic of these words in our lives. Look what he says in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So very basic stuff right now. James is saying never underestimate the large impact of the little things. 
Sometimes the little things that can determine the whole trajectory of something much larger. And he uses just these simple illustrations. Think of a horse for a minute. You think of a horse. These things are big animals. They're muscular. Nobody wants to get kicked in the face by a horse, right? That would be a bad day for you. And yet, even though we have these larger, stronger, faster animals, the only thing you actually need to steer a horse is not some major machine or contraption. You just need a tiny little piece of metal in the horse's mouth. A little bit. If you have that thing on a horse, you can turn it on a dime and control the whole rest of the horse. James even uses this image of a boat. Nicole and I actually went on a cruise for our most recent anniversary. It was my first cruise. We like to try a little experiment a couple days. That's the actual boat. And I was blown away. There was 5,000 people on this boat. I mean, this thing was packed. It was like almost 20 stories high. I don't know. I've never been on a boat this big. And even as large as this boat was, the entire thing was steered by a relatively small piece of metal. Just this little rudder steered 5,000 people through the ocean. And so James is setting this all up to say, that is exactly how your words work. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Words may seem so insignificant when they come out of your mouth, but they have massive power. Think about some of the moments in history that changed the whole trajectory of the human race. You look at any great transformation in human history, almost every single time, you will find some dynamic great communicator at the middle of it. Okay, think of someone like Martin Luther King. His words literally changed the face of America through his speeches. Winston Churchill is credited as changing the course of World War II through his speeches. The words that came out of this guy's mouth. Think of someone like Nelson Mandela. Completely upended apartheid in South Africa because of his own influence through the speeches and the letters he wrote. Even women, Susan B. Anthony, Sojourner Truth, fighting for social justice in this world through what they said. There are famous speeches that we still remember today that completely changed the course of history. And think about the moment we live in right now. You can post something on social media that can reach hundreds of millions of people in a moment, and you can share a message. That's powerful. Now, words are powerful, but they're also a little bit dangerous. Look what James says right after this. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James is a very pleasant person, as you can tell, in his everyday life. But here's what he's just trying to help us understand. Words can be devastating. I know that anybody who's been in Colorado now for a while, you remember the Marshall Fire that happened just here in this last couple of years. This fire destroyed 6,200 acres, 1,084 structures were burned down, $2 billion of damage, two people died, and over 1,000 animals. It was the most destructive fire in Colorado history. And they finally dug into what actually caused this fire to rampage right around the Boulder area. And what they ultimately discovered was that this entire fire was caused by some sparks that came out of an electrical line. 
sparks. A couple sparks devastated the lives of thousands of people. You know, there's still people picking up the pieces of their lives today from that fire. Some sparks. James even says, hell comes out (laughs) through our words. This is some strong language. The, The actual word there is Gehenna. And it was this burning trash heap there in the first century that all these people knew was there. And Jesus used it as a reference and a picture for eternal judgment. He's like, that's kind of an idea of like how bad it is. And this is what James is trying to say. The very forces of evil can take hold of our words and bring apocalyptic levels of destruction. You can literally bring hell on earth through what you say. Now, we talked about some of those great moments in history through these influential communicators who completely changed the dynamics of the world, many of them Christians. Think about some of the worst moments in human history. You know what you'll usually find at the center of those? A really good communicator. Someone who's very good with words. We sometimes forget that Hitler is one of the greatest public speakers who has ever lived. He held audiences of over 100,000 people completely captive with his words. Think of someone like Castro. He took an entire country along with him through his speeches. He was dynamic. Stalin is considered one of the greatest communicators to have ever lived. And yet just these men alone who were able to direct the hearts of nations and millions of people, they also were able to cause the deaths of tens of millions of people. All through the influence of their words. Think of our current cultural moment right now. I know all of us are paying attention to what's going on between Israel and Hamas right now. One thing I am paying close attention to is what is being said through all of this. I mean, the, the leaders of these countries and these terrorist groups are on Twitter and social media. They're posting on Instagram. They're making speeches. They're saying stuff. And it is unbelievable to see some of the vocabulary that's being used to dehumanize, to threaten, and this will lead to more people dying. The very words that people are saying. So James goes on. Verse 7, he says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. My kids are super into nature shows right now. This is like their obsession. And... I have been learning many things now through these little kid shows. And one thing that I've learned recently is what the most poisonous snake on earth is, okay? I don't know if anybody knew this, okay? But it's called the Inland Taipan, if you've heard of this snake before. Now, what's kind of interesting about the snake is if you get bit by the snake, you'll feel a little sting. It'll, it'll definitely hurt a little bit. But that's actually not the problem, the initial bite and the pain from that. It's what comes after the bite, that's going to create some problems for you. Because very soon after this bite, you're going to notice that your breathing's going to start picking up a little bit. You're going to feel a little bit dizzy, even nauseous, and then the vomiting will come, which is never a pleasant experience. 
then you will actually start having headaches. You'll start getting even more nauseous and then you'll have extreme abdominal pain. You will collapse on the ground and become paralyzed. And through this entire horrific experience, you will ultimately die as well. All in this short amount of time from the poison of this snake. Now, James just said, words are a poison sometimes. Think about even just the words in your own life that you've received. You feel the initial sting of it, don't you? When somebody says something, you feel it. There's a bite. But so often, it's the poison that starts to set in after that really starts to get into your heart and your soul. I remember it was 10 years ago when I was working at this particular place and my boss called me into his office and we just started having a conversation about work, but it, it took a turn and he started talking about some of his feelings about me. And at one point in this conversation, he just said one particular sentence. It was five words. And he said this to me now, especially as a person in authority, probably unnecessary to say that not, not needed. And I felt just an initial bite from it. But what I didn't realize was poison started to seep in from that conversation. And it has been 10 years since I've had that interaction with this particular boss. I can guarantee you he does not remember it at all. But I will be driving in my car some days. I'll be at the gym and it will come back into my mind and my heart with this searing poisonous pain. And for whatever reason, I can't seem to like get it out of my soul. It's like the poison has just set itself in there. Think of some of the things that people have said to you. You felt the sting probably initially, right? It hurt. But you still remember stuff that people said to you in your childhood. You can remember the conversation like it was yesterday. Some of us in here, it has shaped your very identity and perception of yourself. Some of the words people have said to you. The poison has been in your soul your entire life. You've been carrying it. James says, we curse people with our words. Now, I know that sounds kind of like this Old Testament thing, right? Who, who says that anymore? Curse. But you got you to gotta hear what James is saying. He didn't say it's like a curse when you say something mean to somebody or inappropriate. He says, you are cursing. And what that means is it's not just wishing evil on somebody's life. It is actually invoking it on their life. It is literally bringing harm and destruction upon them. I wonder how many people in here today are carrying some curses. People have spoken things into your life that have you, you've just carried with you. I wonder how many of us have unknowingly spoken curses in other people's lives that have really shaped the direction and course of where they've gone. We have to feel this right now, everybody. Our words are powerful. They have the power of life and death. We have the power to bless and curse. You literally have the power of heaven and hell in the very words you speak. And so James is saying, you got to figure out how to tame this thing. 
this is a big deal in your life. What is coming out of your mouth? And he says, we can tame a lot of animals, but what we really have to figure out is taming your tongue. This is what we really got to figure out. How do we get our words under control so they can go in a different direction? What I love about this is there's actually so much practical help in the Bible. I love it. It gives some really good handles just on like, how do you actually get a hold of your words? So the first thing we see, you might remember if you've been around the last couple of weeks, James, even just earlier in his letter, he said this, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. So let's start with just very base level. One thing you can do to help figure out your words is you can slow your mouth down. <laughs> can I say this right now? This has been a very important one for me to learn, particularly in my marriage. You see, Nicole and I have a very different communication style, very different. Nicole is what you would call a processor, okay? She needs to figure out what's going on in her heart, all the emotions, and, and, and then she articulates it all when she's really put it through her mind. I don't exactly work that way. I'm what you would call a blabbermouth. I say exactly what is happening up here through this thing. There's no filter. It just comes right out, which is what gets me in a lot of trouble, even on this stage sometimes. But Nicole and I will get in a little bit of a conflict, and she's like really thinking about what's going on, making sure she wants to say the right thing. And then I just say the first thing that comes out. And I have shoved my foot in my mouth 10,000 different times in this marriage. You know how many times I've had to apologize in this marriage? A lot. Way more than Nicole. And you see, I've learned. I've learned, I've learned something. It's, it's an amazing secret. This will change some of your lives. You don't have to say the first thing that comes into your mind. It's an unbelievable metric. You actually don't have to. I just discovered this in my adulthood. I've actually learned I probably shouldn't say the first seven things that come into my mind. I really got to let that filter run a couple times in my head. Oh my goodness. I love Proverbs 10. Too much talk leads to sin, but whoever restrains their lips is wise. Sometimes the best words are no words. Those are sometimes the best words you can speak. Just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Slow down. Allow God to work in your heart and mind and to guide the words that actually come out of you. Slow your mouth down. Look at this other one, though. Use words to build up, not break down. Okay? Look what Ephesians 4.29 says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, again, the word pictures here are so cool. When Paul talks about unwholesome talk, he's talking about words that cause rot and decay in the soul of another person. Picture like this image of nasty old rotting wood, like with worms and maggots in it, just disgusting. That's what he's trying to say. Do not say words like that. He's saying, instead, you want words that build up. And the cool image here is this is an idea of like building a strong, sturdy house. So he's like, every single word that comes out of your mouth should be like this strong beam that you put up to build this great structure in somebody's soul. This is what you're trying to do with your words. And he says, make sure the words you use are according to the needs of the other person. This is not about what you want to say. This is about what they need to hear. Don't you ever have those moments where you're like, oh boy, I got a zinger. I'm going to tell them exactly what's on my mind. They're going to know. They don't need to know. I know you feel like they need to. You feel like it's going to help you. No, it's not. It's not going to help anybody. 
Paul says, make sure you are actually trying to serve the other person. So even as you're talking to somebody, you know what your filter should be? Are these words actually going to build this person up? Like truly. Or is this just like a subtle dig? Is this kind of like a little passive aggressive comment I'm trying to slip in, you know, to kick one of the posts out in their life? You should be asking, will this even benefit them? Or am I just kind of venting? Am I, am I tearing them down a little bit? Is this even gossiping? And don't hear me wrong. There are times when you got to bring some hard words. Sometimes you got to hold people accountable. You got to confront sin. You got to address issues. There's problems to solve. But there is a place for appropriate intensity and urgency and even disagreement in a conversation. And you can still engage someone in a way that doesn't curse them or bring poison into their soul. So Paul says, make sure you build them up. You got to benefit people when you talk to them. But there's even one other one here. Use a soft touch. Look at Philippians 2. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Stop right there. What if we all just lived that one verse out right there? What if everybody in America said, you know, guys, let's just do that for like a year. Can we just do that for a year? You want to talk about changing the world? Just, just do that one single verse. And what are we even talking about? How do you know if you're actually complaining, though? You know, because that can be a hard line to discern. Am I complaining or do I really want to bring this up? What Paul is talking about is expressing dissatisfaction in a way that doesn't help a situation. That's what Paul's talking about. So, so you're frustrated, but you're voicing it in a way that's not benefiting anybody. It's just creating more chaos. And when he talks about arguing, he's talking about being unnecessarily contentious and confrontational with another person. And basically what Paul's saying is both of these approaches do not fix the problem. They always make it worse. And so the alternative is this in Proverbs 15. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I was on YouTube recently and I saw a, a short pop up. And it was of a professional soccer game that happened uh, just a few weeks ago. And there's this particular soccer player there who is just getting attacked by the crowd. They are screaming at him by the thousands. They are cussing at him, yelling at him, freaking out on him. But his response blew my mind. There's 13 seconds. I will tell you this. The video was so bad, I actually edited the video, the audio in this video, because there was all this inappropriateness in it. So you're going to have to just use your imagination to assume what they were actually screaming at this guy in this moment. But watch this. In 13 seconds, watch what this soccer player is able to do with this crowd that's harassing him. Check this out. Okay, all the football fans are like, what just happened here? I don't watch soccer. What just happened there, right? Now you got to see here. This guy was getting cussed out big time by this crowd. They're coming at him. And you see him just move the ball very gently off the line, which is a no-no in soccer. So that he was breaking the rules right there. That's why the ref was like, hey, you can't do that. But did you see what he did to the crowd? He looked up very subtly and just gave him a little smile. Like, oh yeah, I know I'm doing this. And I'm just playing with you. And did you see the crowd turn right there? They all start laughing. And you probably didn't hear it. You could look this up online. There's a guy at the very end of the video who says, he's a good lad. <laughs> The dude was just cussing at him. He's like, he's a good lad. I like that guy. 13 seconds. This guy disarmed an entire hostile crowd. He didn't give him the finger. He didn't start cussing back at him. He just gave a very gentle, subtle, even playful response. And he completely disarmed every single person and even won them over. 
he used a soft touch. If you're frustrated, you know, you want to lean in, start complaining, start arguing, saying your piece. What if you ask, you know what, how do I approach this so I don't cause the other person to start putting their defenses up? How can I engage in them in a way that will actually disarm them and get them to open up? Or maybe you should ask, instead of trying to win this argument, how do I win the other person? How do I really win their heart? How do I make sure they know I'm not just trying to destroy them right now? And I'm actually trying to serve them. Use a soft touch. And you can literally change the complete attitude of somebody's heart. Now, these are all nice little tips and tricks. I mean, again, great principles we have to live out right from the Bible. But actually, you can't really fix this with just little tips and tricks. You really can't. There is one thing really at the end of the day that can completely change the words you speak. And James says it. He says, you need to change the source. Look how James now finishes out this section of scripture right here in verse 11. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What is James saying here? He's using all these images. He's saying, if you really want to know the type of person you are, look at how you talk. How you talk to other people, the tone you use, what you choose to say, what you choose not to say, that is who you are. That is a perfect reflection of who you really are as a person because your words at the end of the day are just an overflow of your heart. That's all they are. And so James says, if the source isn't fresh, there's no way it's going to be producing pure water. It ain't going to happen. If the tree is not healthy, there's no way it's going to be able to create good fruit. And so at the end of the day, we can't just change the sentences we speak we have to change the source of all of our sentences completely. We need a whole new source. When Nicole and I moved here to Colorado some years ago, we, we ended up going just the new build route because all the houses were getting bid up like $100,000. We're like, all right, we'll just build one so we don't have to fight anybody anymore for a house. And they planted a little tree right in the front yard. And I'm no arborist, okay? I will admit that right now. I didn't have a green thumb. And so I'm looking at this tree. I'm like, this thing doesn't seem to be working, right? Isn't it supposed to do stuff? Like, there's no leaves. Like, I don't know. Is this an apple tree? I don't even know. It's supposed to do something. And so we just let it sit there for like a year or two. And I'm like, this is a very sad tree. He, he's just a very sad tree. And finally, my neighbor was like, hey, um, you know your tree's dead, right? You have a dead tree. That, that's why it's not working. I was like, is that really why it's not working? Okay, I just maybe thought he needed some more time or something, you know? He's like, no, no, it's dead. There, there will never be leaves on that tree. It's completely done. And so, Nicole, I thankfully, we just made it in the window of the warranty. So the whole builder was like, okay, we'll bring in a new tree. They planted it, the whole thing. And so I just took this picture like two days ago. That's my tree now. It's got these beautiful fall colors. It's a brand new tree. It's really nice. I love my tree now. It's alive. It's producing great leaves. Jesus in Matthew 12 says this, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. The only way you will ever truly change the words that come out of your mouth is you need to plant something new in your heart. 
There has to be some new seeds that take root that will completely transform what grows out of you. And that is something only God can give. Some of us in here, you've had words spoken into your very heart and soul that have been painful. They've been damaging. They've been devastating. Like the poison set in. Every single one of us has said things that have brought damage to other people. Every single one of us has fallen short with the tone we've used, with the word choices. We've all brought harm. Nobody knows how to speak perfectly. Except one person. God is the only one who truly knows how to speak a word of truth. He's the only one who really knows how to build with his words. And he is the only one with his words who can plant something new in you. And I wanted this just to be a moment as we get ready to close the service to speak some of the very words of God over you guys. And I'm hoping this might be a moment for some of you just to receive some cleansing work in your own soul. For God to undo even maybe some of the curses that you've been carrying. For God to cleanse out even some of the poison that's been on your heart and soul maybe even for decades. So what does God say to you? What are the words that God wants you to hear? This is what God says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. God has lavished his love on you. It is coming in overflowing amounts. You are a child of God. You are a son of the Most High King. You are a daughter of the Lord of Lords. That's who your dad is. First Peter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. God picked you. You're chosen. God knows who you are. You are special to him. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, God cares about you. He is deeply concerned about every single detail of your life. He's invested in you. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, God is actually for you. He is not actively working against you. He is not trying to destroy your life. He wants to build you up. He's trying to get behind you. He wants to get you to the purposes that he has you. God is for you. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has plans for your life. He has a hope-filled future that you can look forward to. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian in this place, you always have something to look forward to. The future is always bright. And hear me, whatever else anybody has said to you or about you, this is what God says to you. This is what God says about you. This is the truth. And the way you can know these aren't just like empty platitudes 
and just some vague encouragement. It's because God didn't just say this, he proved it. See, God came down in Jesus and lived a perfect life out of his own love for you. Sinless, totally pure. He said every word right. He had the perfect tone in every single situation. He knew exactly what to say. But Jesus didn't just talk right. He went to a cross too. And he died on your behalf. He put some real action behind his words for your sake. And when the very nails were getting hammered through his hands and feet, words came out of the very soul of Jesus. And they were not threats. It wasn't cursing. It wasn't words of anger and retribution. Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. Even in his death, Jesus was speaking words of life over you. You are forgiven. When those words get into your heart, that's when God can start planting something new in you. And when God changes the source through the very power of his words in your life, it will transform you from the inside out all the way to the very words that you speak. And so for some of us in here, I'm hoping this is just a fresh reminder for you, just an appreciation for who you are in Christ. But for some of us here today, this is an opportunity. You need something new planted in your heart, something only Jesus can give you. And he is encouraging right now to reach out, to receive and have him cleanse your very soul with his words, to undo the curse, to heal the poison and give you a new purified heart. And Northern Hills, hear me today. Let's be a church that speaks life into the people around us. Let's build people up. Let's provide strength and support in what we speak. Let's be a community that floods the world with the pure cleansing water of our words in every interaction with every person, every text, every conversation. And let's use the power of our words to bring healing, hope, and the very love of God into this very broken world. Can I hear a good amen from somebody right now? In Jesus' name, will you all pray with me? Father, I just thank you so much that what we just spoke in this place is, are your words. It's your truth. The very words that undo the curse, that heal the poison, Lord that plant new seeds in our very souls. God, I wanna pray right now for healing in the hearts of our people. Lord, I know there are people right now that have been poisoned by words from other people. It's shaped their very identity, how they perceive themselves. Lord, I know there's people right now that can remember words from a family member, a friend, somebody in their life that were spoken so many years ago and yet they remember it like it's yesterday. God, I pray for freedom in this place right now. Lord, I pray for cleansing. Will you purify hearts in this place right now? God, I pray that your words would truly take over in the hearts and minds of our people. Right now, you may realize you need a new source in your heart. You need something new planted. And right now you can reach out to Jesus and say, Jesus, plant something new in me. Change me from the inside out. Give me a new tree in my soul. 
Lord, I pray you do a work in people's hearts. And Father, I pray right now that you would just truly empower our church to be a people that build up with our words. Give us the gracious compassion to use a soft touch. And God, I really truly pray that the words that come out of our mouths would bring healing and transformation and hope into this world and glorify you in every way. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.